Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Spiritual Gifts, Part 1. Well, good morning. Um... Funny story, some of you know this, but you know, the Zuma baptism, I'm really looking forward to that next week. And uh, last year, as the new guy here, I'd never been to the beach before from up here. And so they, they I, you know, we live in Simi Valley, so they said, oh yeah, it's really easy to find. Uh, you just need to go down to, you know, hit the 23, get to the 101, go down to Canaan, take it in, take a left, it's really easy. And so I go down the 23, uh, you know, go 18, 118, 23, get to the 101. And, you know, I thought I was going the right direction on the 101. And about Oxnard... I'm like, this doesn't look really right. I haven't seen Canaan yet. I don't think it was this far. And so, uh, so I had to call up and, oh, you went the wrong way. It's the other way. And so I got there about 45 minutes late. Of course, they hadn't even missed me. They're just going ahead and having a great time. So I was so new. They didn't know I was a pastor anyway. So, um, anyway, no, was, we're looking forward to that. And, and also, I just noticed that there isn't on the back of Christianity, on the back of your thing, there is no thing on Christianity 101. So that's a new course we're teaching. There is? Oh, in the back of there. Oh, okay. I was looking on the back of the beach baptism thing. Oh, good. There is. So there is something on Christianity. One. Glad I came up here to find that out. So, um, yeah, welcome. I'm, I'm uh, in charge here, uh, obviously. So uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, if this is your first time to Rocky Peak, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And inside of your bulletin, uh, we call it the Weekend View, is a white message note sheet that we use every week to help us as we study God's Word together, and so I encourage you to take that out as we uh, continue this series in the book of 1 Corinthians. So let's, uh, let's go to prayer together, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church. And God, we just look with great anticipation to the future as you're building into us, Lord, a heart for you and a heart for this whatever you want to do in our lives. And today we come to this important topic of spiritual gifts, God, and we just pray that you would begin to speak to us. Maybe for some of us it's a fresh topic, for some of us it's something we've been taught on before, but Lord, each of us needs to hear from you in a fresh way about this area of our life. And so we ask that you'd come and be our teacher as we do each week, and we pray this in your name, amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for a while, the book of 1 Corinthians, Changing the Way You Think. And we come today to a very important section of scripture that has to do with uh, spiritual gifts. And as, as you know, the church at Corinth was a very supernatural church, that when God uh, came to them in Christ, uh, they just had a very powerful conversion experience. And one of the ways that God confirmed his word that, that Christianity was really the truth was through amazing uh, wide assortment of, of supernatural spiritual gifts. And that was a great thing. And the Apostle Paul loved that. But the problem was the church of Corinth was tending to focus on particular gifts that were uh, particularly spectacular. And they're really focusing on those gifts. And it was causing a division in their church. And it was causing chaos in their church services. And the one gift that they were really focusing on that was really causing the problems was the gift of tongues. And we'll be talking about that more in the future, but the gift of tongues is the ability to speak to God in a language that you've never learned. And so this was so spectacular, the church was getting into this, was causing problems, causing all this chaos in their services, and so the Apostle Paul picks up his pen and he says, let me talk to you about spiritual gifts. And I'm so glad they had all these problems, aren't you? The Corinthians were so messed up, it's so awesome, because we get all the teaching that flows out of it. And so once again, uh, Paul's going to give us amazing teaching about spiritual gifts, it's some of the best teaching in all the Bible on it. He's going to spend three chapters, chapter 12, 
13 and 14 on spiritual gifts. And he's going to explain just basically what is a spiritual gift? How do they work? Why do some get one and others get another? Uh, What's their purpose? And so on. And so um, let's go ahead and dive in. We're in chapter 12 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 12. And as normal, you'll see there on your note sheet that I split this up into... uh, uh, about three sections as we'll be going through to make it easier to follow on your note sheet. In this first section, we're just going to be covering the first 11 verses today, and by the way, and then we'll cover the rest of the chapter next week. But the first 11 verses, uh, uh, the first section is called, just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit. It's from the first uh, three verses. And this is such an important principle. The, the, The Corinthians had come out of a very supernatural background. Uh, before they were Christians, they were, they were pagans. They went to worship at the uh, pagan um, temples. And often there were supernatural things that would happen there, demonic things that would happen there. And so as he begins to teach them about spiritual gifts, he wants to, on the one hand, say, yes, spiritual gifts are awesome and they're supernatural and they're from the Lord. And, and, but he wants to also say, don't assume that just because something is supernatural, it's coming from the Lord. And this is sort of a basic foundational principle you need to lay before we go and talk more about spiritual gifts. So let's pick it up there at chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be in the dark. I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, you know that when you were pagans, that somehow or other, you 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 were influenced and you were led astray to mute idols. So he says, in the past... You were deceived in spiritual matters. And he says, we don't want to repeat that mistake. As we go into talking about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be deceived. And so he gives them a basic principle of uh, spiritual life. He says, therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. He says, hey, if someone comes into your fellowship and they claim to have a spiritual and they're claiming to be speaking for God, he says, you can test the messenger by the message. And he says, for example, he gives us some crazy, you know, wild example. Like no one's going to say, he says, anyone that comes and says, Jesus is cursed, he says, hot tip, probably not from the Lord. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says, on the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an extremely, and, and of course, he means uh, no one can say it and mean it. Of course, he can mouth the words. But no one can say that mean it unless it's by the Holy Spirit. So it's a very basic and important spiritual principle that you can test the messenger whether they're from the Lord, by the message, okay? And we'll come back and spend quite a bit of time on that later. The second section of this passage, he wants to talk to them about the gifts. And, and if you'll need to turn your white sheet now. And so the second part is we receive different gifts. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> What's happening here? Um, we receive different gifts, but we share the same purpose. So in this section, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, here's how spiritual gifts work. He says, when you come to Jesus, when you give your life to Christ, now, if you've not given your life to Christ yet, this has not happened to you yet. But when you come to Christ, that God will give each of us certain supernatural abilities. The Bible calls them spiritual gifts in order to serve one another more effectively. And what he's going to say is that they're all different. You're going to get certain gifts. I'm going to get certain gifts. They're all different gifts, but they all have the same common purpose. And that purpose is not to build us up in our ego. The purpose is not to serve ourselves, although there's a blessing in using our gift. 
But the purpose is to equip us to serve each other supernaturally, to build up the kingdom of God and to help the cause of Christ. Okay? So let's look in uh, verse uh, 4. He says, so, so there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Same Holy Spirit gives different kinds of gifts. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service or ministries. Like this room, God will call us to different kinds of ministries. We won't have all the same ministries. But notice, he says, um, but they come from the same Lord. That means the Lord Jesus. In the New Testament, Lord, you should the Lord Jesus. Okay? Um, and he says, verse 6, and there are different kinds of working. Like God's going to work in your life and my life differently. Um, he says, but the same God, and that's God the Father, works in all of them, in all men. Now, I want you to catch this. That Paul says that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are all personally involved in your life, equipping you for ministry. Did you catch that? He says that we, all, we have different gifts, but it's the same Spirit, right? We have different ministries, but it's the same Lord Jesus. We have different workings. It's the same God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in combining a team effort to equip you to make a difference. That's the teaching. Now, he says, but although we have different gifts, he says we have the same common purpose. That's verse 7. He says, now to each one, each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit, in other words, the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit, it's given for the common good. So the Father, Son, and Spirit have combined to gift you to make a difference, but it's, for the, it's not really about you, it's about the common good. They've, they've equipped you, the Father, Son, and Spirit have equipped you to make a difference for the common good. We'll come back to that later. Now, he's going to give us some examples. In the New Testament, there are basically four passages of Scripture that, uh, that kind of lay out gift lists. Here's spiritual gift lists. And we'll be looking at several of them today. And, and in these four passages, none of them are the same. And so as you study it, it's pretty obvious that, that these are just illustrations. That these gifts are, are, are Paul will say, you know, God's going to gift you supernaturally. And let me give you some examples. In the case of the Corinthians, in this particular list, it's going to be pretty spectacular examples, pretty obviously supernatural gifts, because that's how God had blessed this particular church. And so he's going to give us nine examples of spiritual gifts. So let's, let's go through these. Now to one, verse eight, to one there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And so he says, some of us in the body of Christ will be given supernaturally a gift of wisdom, that we will understand how life works, we'll understand how spiritual life works, how relationship with God works. And you kind of know these people when you're around them in your life group or whatever. It's like, that person just always is just, they just kind of, they're just so wise, you know, until you'll see this gift in action. He says, the next gift, um, he says, to another, the, um, the message of knowledge by the same spirit. Now, this could be as similar as wisdom, God giving spiritual knowledge to someone. But it could also be like sort of a, super, a supernatural download of information that you couldn't know any other way. There's sometimes when God just shows you something that there's no way you could humanly know that you just know this thing. And he just kind of supernaturally does this. Now, it's interesting. It's, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us as the body of Christ so that we can do what Jesus would do if he were here. Okay? You see, so, so Jesus had all the gifts of the Spirit, 
you see them evident in his life, and so you can kind of get a picture of what that gift looks like, often by studying the life of Christ. So, for example, the gift of knowledge. See if you remember this story. Uh, some of you are new, won't, but uh, some of you have been uh, Christians a while. You'll remember this story. Jesus is selecting his first disciples, and he, um, he meets a man named Philip, and Philip becomes one of his disciples, and Philip says, I'd love to introduce you to a buddy of, of mine. His name is Nathaniel. We'll call him Nathan for this story. So I'd love you to meet Nathan, my, my friend. And so he says, okay. So they, they travel, and apparently Philip goes on ahead, and he meets Nathan, and he says, hey, Nathan, I think we found the Messiah. And uh, he's kind of like, oh, no way, I don't think so. Oh, you got to come meet him. And so, so they, they come up, and, um, and Jesus meets him, and then before he, he just, you know, glad to do I'm Jesus, oh good, I'm Nathan, good to meet you, and so they explain, and then, and so all of a sudden, uh, Jesus turns to his colleagues around him, and he says, this guy is the real deal, this guy is, is a true Israelite, this guy is a man of integrity, this guy, you can bank on this guy, there is no guile in this guy, he's an amazing man, and Nathan looks at him and goes, how'd you know me, <laughs> so great, so humble, um, uh, how'd you know me, and Jesus says, oh Nathan, he says, I know you think we just met, but he said, actually, I saw you before Philip came and got you when you're sitting under that fig tree. He's like, whoa, <laughs> how'd you know that? He says, maybe you are the Messiah. In fact, I think you are, you see. And so Jesus had this knowledge that God just showed him that through the Holy Spirit. And that's so you see the gift of knowledge. Some of you remember, uh, when you're, if you were here when I first came to Rocky Peak, some of you remember the story that uh, a couple years before I came to Rocky Peak, that I went through a time of uh, spiritual renewal in my life, and God called me this long fast, and in this long fast, one of the things that he showed me during this time, and I honestly to this day can't tell you how he showed me, I can't remember when or how, I just remember when it was all done, I knew this, that he said to me that at 18 to 24 months, I was going to go through a major transition in my life. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. Like 18 to 24 months, like, what does that mean? Like, why didn't you say it 18 months? Why don't you say in 24 months? You know, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why 18 to 20? What happens during those six months? Like, what, what's going on? 18 to 24 months. And so, of course, I didn't tell the whole world, but I told my wife. I told some of the pastors I worked with, some of our close friends. And I don't know what this means. And, and so, but I just, I just knew this thing. I, I don't know how I knew it. Just kind of knew it. And those of you who know the story, remember that then when the packet in the mail came from Rocky Peak and Lynn and I came up incognito to check it out that first Saturday night. And I didn't put this together at all at the time. It wasn't until later I put this together. But looking back, it was uh, a Saturday night. The next day, was it started the 18 months to the day. And, and then we went through that process. And it's, it's memorized, in the process and out of the process. And thought it wasn't we weren't going to come. And then I got that call from Stan Lubeck. On January 4th, 2005, and later on going back to my journals, that was two years to the day of the start of that fast. That was the day that, boom, within, you know, within a month, the elders have invited me to come and candidate. 18 to 24 months. Within 18 to 20 months, you're going to go through a transition. Now, at the time, I didn't understand that. Like, why? But you know, looking back, it makes total sense. 18, 24 months. And so Paul says, some are given gifts of knowledge. There's just times where God's going to supernaturally show you something you couldn't know in any other way. Okay, let's go on the next gift. Number, uh, verse, uh, verse 9. To another, faith by the same spirit. So some of us are given extra measure of faith. Now, we all have faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have faith in Christ. That's what defines a follower. And so we all have faith in Jesus. But there are some of us who will have gifts of faith. They have the unusual ability to be able to trust God, uh, often for amazing things, often miraculous things. You see, it's an unusual ability of faith, and God really uses that in the body. 
Um, it says, next one, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. Notice gifts, plural. Interesting. The apostle Paul, of course, had this gift, didn't he? You remember that towards the end of the book of Acts, he's on a ship. He goes through a shipwreck. They end up on the island of Malta. He, he's taken in by the Roman, top Roman official on the island. He takes him to his home. Whoa, <laughs> someone turned his cell phone. Okay, um, where's those stun gun? Tasers. Oh, here we go. Um, so they, they, take him to, uh, they take him to the home of uh, this guy named Publius, and, um, and, he, and, and his, his father is sick. And so Paul lays hands on him. And he's healed, and the news gets out, and everyone starts bringing the whole, all the sick of the island, and he's, he lays hands on them, and they all get healed. Gifts of healing. Now, interesting, the Apostle Paul didn't always have this gift. In fact, as we study the New Testament, there were times, for example, in Philippians chapter 2, where his good friend Epaphrodites, a co-worker in ministry, was extremely sick. Paul says he almost dies. I'm sure Paul was praying for him, but he didn't get better. He eventually got better, but God didn't heal him. So here's the Apostle Paul with gifts of healing at one point, couldn't heal this guy. Uh, his young uh, friend Timothy, the young pastor, Paul writes him a letter and says, hey, Timothy, he says, I know you're getting sick all the time. You need to take a little bit more wine. It'll make you feel better. It'll <laughs> take a lot more wine. It'll make you feel a lot better. <laughs> but take a little bit of wine for your ailments. You know, and so I'm sure he prayed for Tim. You see what I'm saying? I'm sure he prayed for Tim. God chose not to heal him. And so it doesn't mean if someone has the gifts of healing, they can always have the ability to heal. But there are some people that, that God says, okay, there's going to be times I give you gifts of healing where you're going to be able to pray for the sick and they'll be healed. It's interesting how it seems like this is less prevalent in the Western world, but you see this so much in the third world countries. Like you see this, for example, uh, in Ethiopia. Uh, you know, we just, we had a team, a missions team just came back from Ethiopia and they came back just testifying how this small band of believers there, a small percentage of the nation who believe in Jesus have been greatly persecuted and yet their faith is so strong as a result of that and how that healings are just sort of matter of fact there. It's just kind of something that happens. We've heard that testimony of that from our friends in Uganda, how, how normal this is. I think often in the third world we become so rationalistic and so scientific and so on that we just, it's changed our mindset, you know, maybe that's why we don't see as many healings here. I don't know why. But the point is, is it gifts of healing. You see, we, we see these gifts in operation. Okay, so he goes on. Next gift. Uh, to another miraculous powers. Now, of course, Jesus had these, right? Walk on water, water into wine, uh, calm the storm, and so miraculous powers. Some are given abilities of miraculous powers. To another prophecy. Prophecy is the, uh, the a gift to speak a message from God supernaturally, a fresh message from God. Uh, Paul talks about this gift a lot in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll, we'll look at it more there. Uh, to next one, to another distinguishing between spirits. Paul's already told us, hey, everything supernatural is not necessarily from the Lord. And so some men, they look good, smell good, everything sounds good, but something's not right. They're not really, they've got, their, their motives are wrong or something's wrong about this person. So he says, some people in the body, I'm going to give the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's not from the Lord. That's not from the Lord. They just sense it. Like, it's like something smells wrong. You know, it's almost like a, a, a spiritual sense of smell. You just smell something's up. And then he goes on uh, to another, the uh, different kinds of tongues. We talked about this, the ability to speak to God or pray to God in a language that you've never learned formally. 
and then the gift that goes with it sometimes into another, the interpretation or the ability to translate a language that you've never studied. So he just gives these nine quick examples, all right? So the second section, basically what he's saying is in the body of Christ, every one of us, when we come to Jesus or subsequently, sometimes it's later, uh, that he will give us certain supernatural abilities they're different. Yours are different than mine. We're all different. And yet, they're given to us for express purpose. We all share the same purpose, that we could serve one another more effectively. Okay? Now, this last section, just one verse. There on your note sheet, it's a section that's called, uh, God decides who gets what. It's not up to us. And so he's going to say, here's uh, the last principle for today. He says that when it comes to spiritual gifts, when you come to Jesus, it's kind of like Christmas when you're a kid. You could ask for whatever you want. But God's going to decide that we don't choose our gifts. We, we don't go and say, okay, you put in an order like it's on, you know, kind of you go to eBay, oh, I'll put in my bid. Um, that, that God decides who gets what gifts. And so he says it in 12.11. He says, all these, all these gifts are the work of, the, of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Okay, so God decides the Spirit decides who gets what gift. We can ask for gifts. He may give you different gifts at different times for different situations, but really God decides that. It's not up to us. Okay, so that's the passage. Now, let's talk about some of the implications. You have a section there called Spiritual uh, Gifts 101, the implications, and there's really just two major implications that I want to focus on today, two principles about spiritual gifts that are so foundational for us as we begin to, to go through these three chapters together. And the first one goes like this, that uh, we need to stay open to the supernatural, but on the other hand, we need to test the spirits. There's kind of a balance here. And we need to be open to the supernatural, but test the spirits. Um, Christianity is a supernatural relationship with God, isn't it? It is supernatural from beginning to end. The moment that you came to Jesus, it was because God supernaturally drew you to himself. In fact, we talk about being born again. And Jesus said that we're born again by the spirit from above, right? And so we start the Christian life. It's a super, it's a miracle. Uh, we're told in the New Testament that we don't, we're not only born again, but we, we grow by the spirit. That our growth and development as Christians, it's not the result of our self-effort. It's the result of God's working in us, right? And so it's a supernatural growth process. And then we're told here that not only that, but we're supernaturally gifted to serve. Right? And so Christianity is a supernatural relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. And so Paul says it's so important that we're open to the supernatural in our life because that's what following Jesus is all about. So on the other hand, though, he says we have to test the spirits. We have to become discerning, right? Because all things supernatural are not necessarily of the Lord. Now, here's what I thought. That in Christian circles, we tend to go to one or two ex- of extremes. Uh, on one extreme, you have people that it's like, whoa, nothing supernatural. This is scaring me here. This is getting a little spooky. You know, what's going to happen? You know, we want God to show up. He's so uncontrollable. You know, it's like, look, let's, hey, all the miracles, let's keep them in the Bible where they belong. We know what to expect. We know where to find them. Chapter 3, Moses is, God's going to talk to Moses. We know it. That's safe right there. Let's keep it there. I don't want him talking to anyone today, right? 
And it's like, no, let's keep the, let's, let's just keep the rivers straight. You know, when nothing's splitting around here. Right. And so there's some, some people, and, and really it's a legitimate fear because usually what's happened is we've seen the abuse of the supernatural in some place. We've seen like, oh wow, these people got into supernatural and it got so weird and people got off track. And so, so we just swing way over here and we come, become what I would call head Christians. You know, to us following Jesus, it's all about what happens inside our head. We're going to learn the Bible. We're going to memorize verses. We're going to know our theology, but we don't experience God, you know. The problem is, is when we go to that extreme, is that we starve spiritually because we're created to know and experience God. And so when, we, when we're only, like we're head Christians, we miss out on the presence and the power of God in our life. And that's the problem with that extreme. On the other hand, though, you have some people swing to the other extreme. Anything supernatural, whoa, I want it. And this is the church of Corinth. You know, the more supernatural, the better. The weirder, the better. This explains much of Christian TV, by the way. You know? I know, let's get our hair out to here. You know? Let's look really weird. I'm sure it's spiritual. Right? And, and so on this side of things, it's just like there's no discernment. There's no common sense. There's no wisdom. It's just anything goes. And you just see people going off the deep end. And you go spiritually bankrupt and shipwrecked. And so Paul says, hey, there's a middle ground here. He says, he's such a model for us. He says, hey, you, God has blessed you with all these supernatural spiritual gifts. That's a beautiful thing. He says, however, you're really abusing them. And so he doesn't say, let's get rid of all the supernatural, is what we'd almost expect. He says, let's bring it into line. Let's learn how to use this in an appropriate way. Let's be discerning. And he gives us in this passage one of the most important principles in dealing with the supernatural in all the Bible. And it's a basic principle. It says you can test the messenger. Okay? This person claims to be there from God. They do a miracle or they claim something supernatural. They're speaking for You can test the messenger by the message. Okay? It's one of the most important uh, principles of, of dealing with spiritual life. You can always test the messenger by the message. Now, he says it here in chapter 12 and verse 3. Here he gives us the principle. He says, uh, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, he claimed to be uh, speaking prophetically. I've got a message from God. He says, uh, no one who's speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He says, you can test whether this person is really from God or not by the message. And he gives this kind of extreme example to make the point. You know, I doubt many people are standing up in church going, okay, thus saith the Lord, Jesus be cursed. <laughs> it's like, oh, how edifying, you know. I don't think it was really like that. I think he's given this extreme example to make a point here. You test the message, uh, messenger by the message. Now, this is such an important principle. We're going to spend some time here. And we're going to do a little Bible study together, okay? I want you to see this principle in the Old Testament. We're going to see it in the New Testament. And I want to see it in a case study in the early church. So let's take your Bibles and let's go to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 13. And we'll see one of the first times where God lays this out for us in his word, this important message. Embrace this, you know, be open to the supernatural, but, but learn to test the spirits. So Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 1. Now, Israel is ready to go in the promised land, and Moses won't be with them, and so they'll need some new uh, leaders, they'll need some new prophets. And he says, so if a prophet, or one who foretells by dreams, so uh, sometimes prophets would have dreams at night that God would use to direct them and so on. So he says, if a prophet, 
or one who foretells by dreams, he appears among you and he announces that a, a miraculous sign or wonder is going to take place. So he says, hey, in three days from now, water is going to come from the rock. Or a month from now, the, the moon is going to turn red and there's going to be this hailstorm. I mean, whatever he does, he, he makes some kind of a supernatural prediction. He says, verse 2, and if the sign or the wonder of which he has spoken takes place, so it happens, okay, and not only does he predict the future, it happens, okay, so it's clearly supernatural, you follow me? Okay. He says, but then he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. Now, you catching the, you catching what's happening here? Someone shows up, he says, I'm from God. He makes a supernatural prediction. It supernaturally happens. Okay, so we've got the supernatural going on. But then he gives teaching. His message is in opposition to the word of God. You see, it's, 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 uh, what he claims the Holy Spirit is saying is different from what the Holy Spirit has already said in the word of God. You see? He says, when that happens, so what do you do? Verse 3, he says, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and all your soul. So this is the first time in God's word it lays down this principle that when there's something happens supernatural in our lives, we need to test it against the word of God and say, does that really match up? If it doesn't, kick out the supernatural. It's not from the Lord. See, everything supernatural is not necessarily from the Lord. Let's go to the New Testament. We'll see an example. Uh, the little book of First John. So turn to the back of first, uh, back of your Bibles, little book, First John chapter four. Now the situation here a little different. In the New Testament church, one of the first major heresies that came along was not that Jesus wasn't um, God; it's that Jesus wasn't human. He wasn't flesh and blood like you and I. And this happened because in the Greek culture, the Greek philosophers had taught that our bodies are evil, that our spirits are good, and so the goal is to get rid of our bodies when we die, we'll be set free. And so the concept of a God who would become man and take on a human body just didn't make sense to them. Like God couldn't take on sinful flesh, he couldn't do that. And so it didn't make sense. And so this teaching arose that Jesus, when he came to, to earth, he was really a spirit. Now, he looked human. He looked like flesh and blood, but he really wasn't. So if, so if you walked along the seashore behind him, that he really wouldn't leave footprints in the sand, for example. You know, he'd look real, but he, he wasn't really real in the physical sense. Uh, this, on Friday, I went up to uh, Refugio State Beach, you know, above Santa Barbara. And uh, it's one of my favorite places in the world. And just kind of spent some time with God per day and stuff. And, uh, and it was really nice because, you know, kids are starting to go back to school and there wasn't that many people there. In the afternoon, I took a walk around the beach and I, I went all the way around to the point. For those of you who've been there, the, the, the point, and went up on top of the point. And when I came back, I noticed a set of footprints in the sand and, and it was just, it was real distinct. And I thought, I wonder if it's my set of footprints. And because, I mean, I'd come that way. But, you know, usually when you're at the beach, there's so many people there, you don't have this phenomenon that happens. And so, so I, you know, I went along and I kind of put my foot there and go, yep, it is. It's, it's me. And, um, and so, what, you're like, whatever. But anyway, um, and what other weird things do you do? So uh, the point is, what they're saying is if Jesus had walked to the point and they come back, he, there wouldn't be any footprints there. You see, it's, it's his teaching. And so there was false prophets coming along, teaching this thing. They'd come to a church and, and they'd claim to be speaking for God and they have this message about Jesus. And so John writes to him and he talks to him about this importance of testing the messenger 
by the message. So let's look at what he says, chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. And then here comes our statement, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Don't assume everything supernatural is from the Lord. Test the spirits. He says, because many false prophets have come out, gone out in the world. He says, now here's how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit, Notice a guy gets up, he claims to be speaking uh, by the power of the Spirit of God. He says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus, he's come in the flesh, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, the demonic spirit, which you've heard is coming and he's doing now in the world. So again, second time, the New Testament says, test the spirits. Be open to supernatural, but test the spirits, okay? Now, one other church in the New Testament gives us a great example of this. It's the church of Colossae. You might want to turn there. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Book of Colossians. Kind of the middle of your New Testament. Let me, let me uh, set the stage. In the book of Colossians, there was some false teachers had risen up, and they were basically having a different view of Jesus, who he was. They said that if you really want to be spiritual, you need to be worshiping certain angels to show your humility. And thirdly, that if you want to be really spiritual, you have to be denying your body any natural pleasures. Uh, kind of be very legalistic because, you know, if you want to be kind of closer to God, you have to like, like shut down your body, so to speak. You know, this is common spiritual air through the ages, right? And so they were teaching this. The interesting thing was is they were teaching, what they were saying is that, hey, you know what? This teaching we're bringing, it's not ours. It's from angels. That we've had these visions of God and we've seen Christ and he's shown us these things and they go into great detail about these supernatural visions. And because of that, people were listening like, wow, that's such a cool story. That's amazing. Well, he just woke you up in the middle of the night and you had this vision. It must be from God, you know? It's like, wow, it's so supernatural. And people were getting sucked in. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. And so let's look at chapter two and verse 16. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. You know, don't, don't go on this legalism thing. Or with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days, all these laws. He says, verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, see that's what the false teachers, disqualify you from the prize, get you off track. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, these visions he's seen. And his unspiritual mind, now of course these false teachers would see themselves as extremely spiritual, but he says his unspiritual mind puffs him up, gives him, makes him proud with idle notions. And notice he says he has lost connection with the head. He's lost contact with Christ. So you see what's happening. These teachers are coming in, and they're claiming these amazing supernatural experiences. Oh, you won't believe. I was out at the beach, and right there, and all of a sudden, the heavens open up. And these amazing visions that they're having, and everyone's going, wow, that must be from the God, you see. And Paul says, no, 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 you have to hold on to the head. You have to hold on to Christ. What do we already know about Christ? What has he already taught us? See, what has the scriptures already taught us? And so you see throughout the, the Bible, this emphasis is that we serve a supernatural God. We are supposed to live supernatural lives. We need to be open to supernatural, but we have to be discerning. Otherwise, we'll get off track. Now, this is so important because sooner or later, someone's going to come along in your Christian life 
and is going to share some amazing experience they've had or some amazing experience they want you to have. And, and, and it's going to sound so good and it's going to sound so supernatural and it's going to cause you to really question. And do you want to be open? Yes, be open, but we have to be very cautious and we have to come back and say, okay, does this really line up then? with what the Spirit is taught. Because, you know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the principle is, Jesus is not going to tell someone today something different than he said 2,000 years ago. You see? There's a consistency there. And it's so important because we can get off track so easily. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples, uh, big examples, and then some smaller ones. Um, think in the history of the world, some of the major religions who've come out of people having visions that were amazingly supernatural, but they assumed they were from God. Think, think, think of the Mormon religion, right? The Mormon religion was based on the teachings of Joseph Smith, who claimed that one day he had this amazing vision of an angel who brought to him these golden tablets and gave him special glasses he could read, and that Christianity had kind of gotten off track, and he needed to correct it with the Book of Mormon. You see? You see, it's exactly what the Bible says. It it happened. Uh, Think of Islam, one of the fastest-growing religions in our our country today, and obviously worldwide uh, impact. How did Islam get started? Well, Muhammad claimed, and very likely could have happened, very likely could have, Muhammad claimed, that he was in a cave and had a series of visions and it was dictated the Quran, you see? And, and so he could have avoided the mistake by going back to Scripture and checking it out because obviously Islam is a takeoff on Christianity. It's a takeoff on Judaism, right? So it's a takeoff. So obviously he could have gone back to the book and gotten it right, you see? You see how the deception... So you can see this working in big principles, amazing visions, and so we assume it's true. But you know what happens in our lives as Christians too. I remember the previous church I was at. One day a man came in to talk to us and he said, hey, I just want to tell you, he says, you know, you know I've been having trouble in my marriage. Yes, we know that. He says, well, you know, we haven't really loved each other for years. And he said, you know, I've really been praying about this and there's this other woman I've met and we really are in love. And I really believe that God is leading me to leave my wife because we haven't really loved each other anyway and because he wants me to be happy. He's, he's leading me to leave my wife and to marry this other woman. And he said, and I've really prayed about this. So I just have peace about this. And so what he was telling me that Jesus Christ, who said marriage is for life, has now changed his mind. You see what I'm saying? I remember a time when I had a close friend, and he was a uh, he was a man who was a, a professor at a leading one of the great uh, kind of leading Christian institutions in our country, Christian uh, colleges, a very influential man. But he struggled. I knew this with homosexuality. I'd helped him walk through this. We've been friends for years. We prayed together. He'd been faithful to his his wife. He'd been uh, and his uh, had a, like a seventeen year old son. I'll never forget the day he came to me after I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. He drove to my house, came to my apartment building, and he said, "Hey, Mike. He said I need to tell you something. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving uh, my uh, my son. I'm 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 getting I'm hooking up with another man." And he says, but I need to share with you that I've really been praying about this and that God has opened my eyes that we've been having it wrong all these years. That when the Bible talks about homosexuality, it's we're not a lifestyle we're to pursue, that it's not really talking about um, what we kind of a committed relationship. It's talking about illicit sexuality, kind of casual sexuality. 
just sleeping around. And he said, and so I've turned my back on that. But God has spoken to me, and I'm here to share this with you because yeah, this is, you know, and this was about 15, 20 years ago. Okay, so it was, it was much different uh, climate in those days. But God has shown me that the Spirit has come to free us and that this is really okay. And here was a gifted man, a great uh, spiritual leader, a, a man who was used a, as a major influence on this major Christian campus, you see. And yet he's saying that the Holy Spirit is leading him in a way that is opposite of the, of the teaching of God's word. You see what I'm saying? And so this is so important as we go into this teaching on spiritual gifts as a church that we do what Paul says. No, there's a both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. He says, you need to be open to the spiritual gifts. He said, he says to the church of Corinth, he says, I'm so excited for your spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, he says, be eager for spiritual gifts. He says, you, you have a supernatural relationship. Be open to whatever God wants to do in your life. He says, but be discerning. Be discerning people. Does this make sense? Does this line up with God's word? Is there common sense in this? You see what I'm saying? And so this very important principle, he starts this off. Now, number two. The second major principle that stands out to me in this uh, opening 11 verses um, is that your spiritual gifts are vital to the cause. This just leaps out at me. It says that, that your spiritual gifts, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're sitting here today, you've committed your life to Christ, that you have supernaturally been gifted by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They've kind of, they've kind of teamed up to gift and call you to certain ministries. That, that God has uniquely designed you to make an impact forever. And so your spiritual gifts are vital to the cause of Christ. Now, uh, Paul's going to talk about this more next week as we get into his analogy of the human body and how gifts are like, uh, like uh, spiritual gifts are like gifts of the body, things like that, members of the body. But I want you to look at this in chapter 12 and verse 7, the verse we looked at today. And I just want to underline this for you because there's some of you here who are going to say, oh yeah, I, I totally get this. I'm on board with this. But there's a lot of us here that we really don't believe this. And I just want to show you how clearly the Bible says this. In, in chapter 12 and verse 7, He says, now to each one, now underline that, each one, every one. He says, to each one, what happens? To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the supernatural gifting, supernatural ability to serve is given. When you came to Christ, this happened to you. For some of you, he'll give you other gifts as you go along, more gifts as well. But to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And why is it given? For the common good. You see what this means? This means that God has gifted you to make an impact for his kingdom. And if you're not using your gift, guess what? His kingdom is not being impacted. His plan is not being carried out. Uh, Peter puts it like this. There in your note sheet. 1 Peter 4, one of the gift passages. He says, um, each one, notice that each one again, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Okay, that's what we've been saying. But, but then what he says, he says, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. That, that word for faithfully administering is a word about stewardship, about like being the manager of God's, of God's farm, so to speak. And here's what he's saying. He says, God has so designed the church. He's designed the world that there's many things that God wants to do in the world that he's not going to do directly. He's going to do them through you. 
you see, that said God has grace for us in this body here. That God wants to grace our church, for example. He wants to grace us with his power and his presence. He wants to grace us, okay? But he's chosen not to do it directly. He's chosen often to grace us through one another, you see? And so he says each of us has to be faithfully distributing the grace. So what's this mean? It means if you have the gift of encouragement and you don't use it, it means someone here is going to go discouraged. It means if you have the gift of teaching and you're not using it, guess what? There's someone here, their life is going to go into a mess, be a mess because they're ignorant of God's principles. If you have the gift of faith and you're not using it, it means there's certain miracles that God wants to do at Rocky Peak that aren't going to happen. You see, this is how God's designed it. He has gifted us, and now he's trusting us to faithfully administer his grace. And if we don't do it, it won't get done, because that's how he's designed it. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul lists nine gifts. And there, I mentioned there's four other, uh, three other major passages that deal with gifts. And in these other passages, he, he lists other gifts. Now, the gifts he lives here in chapter 12, the, first, these, uh, the verses we looked at, are very highly supernatural. They're like clearly supernatural. You know, it's like if, if you go out and do a miracle, none of us going to say, oh, you were just always good at that, you know? Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, you, you heal somebody. Well, have you always been able to do that? Yeah, a little kid. I just always heal people. You know, it's like clearly they're supernatural. But here's the thing. In the other passages of Scripture, many of the gifts are not clearly supernatural. They are supernatural, but they don't appear as supernatural. Like, let me give you some examples. You can check this out later. But I just put a list on. I'm just going to give you a list. Uh, teaching um, is, is listed as a supernatural gift. Um, here's one. Helping. Now, helping. Now, how supernatural does that seem? What's your gift? Helping. I'm really good at helping people. You know? Did you know that the Bible says there's a supernatural gift, that some of you are just really good at helping? Um, often you get really irritated at the rest of us who aren't. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, uh, mercy. You know, some of you have the gift of mercy. You're just really good at coming along with hurting people, and you just know how to make them feel better. Some of us try to do that, and we just make people feel worse, right? We get to mercy. Um, serving. Now, again, how supernatural does that sound? Serving. I mean, we can all serve, right? But did you know that some of you in this room, you're gifted to serve supernaturally? That you just, you're really good at serving others. We'll talk more later. Uh, some of encouragement. I mentioned that gift. Leadership. And so, but whatever the passage of Scripture where they're listing out these gifts, whatever the passage, the point is always the same, is that your gift is vital to the cause. Uh, Ephesians 4, another one of those key passages, I put this on your note sheet. Paul puts it like this. The whole body grows and it builds itself up in love. Catch this. As each part does its work. You see that? Each part Each of you is vital to God's plan on earth. God has written a script for planet earth in order to impact eternity, and you have a part to play. That God has uniquely gifted you to play a part, and if you don't play a part, that part will not be played. 
You see, Paul wants us to understand this, that if God had chosen to do everything directly, he wouldn't be depending on us to be faithful. But God has chosen us to gift us so we supernaturally can make a difference and be part of the process. Now, I'll tell you what, one of the things I look forward to in this church, and people ask me all the time, yeah, I'm like, what's your vision for Rocky Peak? And you, know, and you know what they mean? It's like, when's our next building being built? What's the next program we're going to launch? <laughs> Can I tell you something? My vision has nothing to do with buildings. My vision has nothing to do with programs. My vision has to do with people who are passionate about Jesus Christ becoming the men and women they were designed to be and then tapping into their gifts and making a difference that will change the world forever. That's what my vision's about. You see, and I come to a passage like this and I get fired up because I get excited about the years to come as we begin to catch hold of this as a church. We begin to catch hold of this, that we weren't meant just to come to church and sit and sing and go home and put a few bucks in the plate and that's God. No, that we begin to catch a vision that God has uniquely designed us to impact eternity. And we begin to catch a vision for the way that he's gifted each of us. That you are vital, that your life has meaning, that your life is purpose. It's not just nine to five. It's not just going through the motion. God has a plan for your life to make a difference. And he wants to release your gifts. And I look forward to that. And you know, I know some of you here have found those gifts and you're plugged in and you're ready to go and you're doing your thing. Some of you are in the process of discovering your gifts even now and you're seeking that out. Some of you, God is going to surprise you with the gifts that you have you don't even know you have. You know, back in the spring, I did a short series, you might remember it, called The Heart of a Servant. We talked about this, how God has been preparing us our whole lives and, and our personality and our experiences. He's been shaping us for making a difference. One of the things I, I did is I had the staff and I had uh, uh, our elders. We went through a book called The Volunteer Revolution by Bill Hybels. And he just kind of laid out some of these concepts in a cool way. And I, I quoted a couple of times in some of those messages. And, and a man in our congregation named Cliff Cox. A lot of you know Cliff. He's uh, a uh, father of Dave Cox, one of our p- teaching pastors. And Cliff and Kitty have been in the church for 10 years, uh, a couple different times. I've been here a long time. And uh, and, and God, and, and for whatever it is, Cliff got that book, he started reading that book, and God began to get a hold of his heart. And, and you may not know this about Cliff, but Cliff has a background in facilities management. Uh, in fact, at one point in his life, he managed a, a, a department of a large computer firm, and he, he had a hundred people under him, and a $15 million budget just for his department. And God began to put in his heart, he says, we've got this amazing facility here at Rocky Peak, and there's just a lot that needs to be done. There's repairs that need to be done, and new things that need to be done, and building that needs to be done. And wouldn't it be awesome if God would call somebody to step up and to put together a ministry where people who have skills in the building trades and people who have skills in landscaping and, 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 and repairing things and all that, they could come together and use those skills to, to create a beautiful place here where people could come to know and meet God and, and, and to save the church money that could be used in other ministries. And wouldn't that be awesome? And this vision begins to catch hold of his heart and he's talking to his wife, somebody needs to do this. <laughs> I'm just praying that God will lead someone to do this thing. I've got a job. I can't do it, but I'd be beautiful if someone would do this thing. The excitement began to grow and the vision began to grow. He told me, and this brought tears to my eyes, that Mike, there was many times I couldn't go to sleep at night. I was just, I'd be awake till three in the morning just thinking about this, trying to shut off my brain. I was so excited I couldn't go to sleep. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, finally at three o'clock in the morning, 
one night, I was so sick of it. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. <laughs> and he began sharing that vision with some friends. And they've been catching the vision. They put together a leadership team, some who had those kinds of gifts, some who didn't have those kinds of gifts, had leadership and organizational gifts. And they began to put this together and they began to say, how would this work? And plan it all out. And they began to launch and they announced it. And the very first night, they had their first meeting. They decided to call it SWAT, Servants with a Talent. And the very first night, they had 60 people show up. Men, women, and children who said, I want to be involved in this ministry. That very day, we had a pipe break at the church. It was 12 feet under, big sewage pipe. Roto-Rooter comes out, 7,500 bucks it's going to cost to get this thing fixed. Two SWAT guys stepped up. One guy, expert with a backhoe. One guy and his brother, expert in plumbing, other plumbing company. They came out and in one day, worked all day. They fixed the thing for cost of materials, only a thousand bucks. I think what's exciting about that is not just the money part. No, that's exciting too. But it's, <laughs> you know, we can give that $6,500 for ministry, other ministry, touching kids' lives, helping people grow. But it's not just about the money. Here's what gets me excited. It brings tears to my eyes. When guys like that begin to catch a vision that God wants to use them for his kingdom. And I see 60 people coming out and say, well, I want to landscape this place. I see guys coming out and say, there's two, two broken lights in the parking lot up there. They're like 700 bucks just for the lighting thing. And we have the expertise and we can save the church and we can fix those things and they're getting excited about that. You know what that does to my heart? Because we're catching the vision. We're catching the vision that God needs every one of us to advance his kingdom and that he's uniquely designed us for that. I hope you can be with us next week. We're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk about some of the obstacles that get in our way of hold us back from making an impact. Sometimes it's mental things, the way we see ourselves, the way we've seen ourselves from the time we are a little kid. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing. I can't, I can't do this. There's nothing I can, can bring to the table. And we're going to see what the Apostle Paul says about that, how vital it is we're all involved. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for what you're doing in this church. God, I'm thankful for the vision you're giving us together. I'm thankful for men like Cliff Cox who are catching a vision, listening to your voice, Lord. I'm thankful for those guys out there digging a trench all day long, 12 feet down, because of their love for you and because they want to make a difference. Lord, and I'm thankful for your word that says to us so clearly, you are to be a supernatural people. You are to be a supernatural church. I want you to experience my power and my presence in fresh ways. And I want you to be open to that. But I, w- but I want you to be wise. And I want you to be discerning. God, thank you for your amazing word that nourishes our souls and causes us to grow up and be strong. As we study it week by week, Lord, we feel the strength of your word empowering us, growing us up. We're thankful for that, God. We pray that you continue to teach us how to walk with you and how to follow you passionately how to tap into our gifts, and how to make a difference that lasts forever. We love you. Amen. Oh, Lord, you are the beautiful one. And because of you, our souls sing. God, you have captured our heart. And God, it's a desire of our heart that that would happen even more, that you'd fill us with a passion for your name. Oh, Lord, we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our strength. God, that you would be the beautiful one in our lives. And God, we pray that as you are captured by that love, God, that then you would release your gifts in new ways in our lives. 
so that we have power to serve for the common good, the cause of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week and may he begin to speak to those of you who feel like you have little to offer, you have nothing to offer. Maybe you've gone through a lot in life and you just think your role is to come and sit in the back row or sit wherever you sit, but just kind of sit and soak and leave it to others who are more gifted or more called. May God begin to speak to your heart this week and tell you that that is a lie from the pit. It's a lie from hell. That you, you're gifted. And you, you are called. And you are vital to the cause. I don't care where you're coming from or what your background, that we need you. The kingdom needs you. And God is trusting you to run your, your part in this race, to take that baton and to run your lap for his kingdom. Some of us, we think too highly of ourselves. Paul's going to talk to us about that next week. <laughs> uh, if you've got a big head, bring some ice. That's going to hurt. You know, some of you, oh, what can I do? I have nothing to offer. Oh, you need to be here. Paul's going to talk to you about that. He's going to talk to us about what it means to be the body of Christ. Now God has equipped us to make a difference forever. May God speak that truth to your heart this week personally. And I'll see you back next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.